Today's episode of Cinema Gush is brought to you by the briefcase full of money trope. Listen, there's no time to explain what's happening here, but I've got that thing you need, and that thing you need is a briefcase. Now let's fill it to the brim with cold hard cash, and let's be clear here, you want to go with hundreds or twenties. Not because it won't look as impressive, but because of the sheer weight of the thing. You got a hundred grand in singles? Baby, that's 220 pounds! Ain't a suitcase on the planet that can carry that weight. And who said anything about a suitcase? I said a briefcase full of money. Now granted, a briefcase full of money bears a massive responsibility. Do you get spinny number locks? Do you handcuff yourself to it? Seems like a pretty obvious way to get kidnapped or have some NPC get involved in your business, don't you think? Look, don't get frustrated. I know we're all on nerves here. There's a big reason why you've got a briefcase full of money, and 9 out of 10 dentists agree. It's some sort of kidnapping ransom you're trying to pay. Don't be surprised if things get out of control and you end up losing it all by either having the sucker fly open, sending cash raining from the sky a la rush hour, or singing to the bottom of the ocean like the film we're about to talk about. If only there was some easy way for the briefcase to be exchanged for the person you love without all the drama. More than a toy so simple. The briefcase full of money trope. Maybe next time you'll opt for a wire transfer. Say your line exactly as I'm about to. Just as I'm about to do. Sure. Okay. Would the tutorial so simple? 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 My dear boy, why do you say that? Why do you say tutorial? Well, you should say it like I said it. Yes. Would the tutorial so simple? Would the tutorial so simple? Would the tutorial so simple? Would the would the tutorial so simple? Watch my mouth. Would the tutorial so simple? Would the tutorial so simple? Keep your head still. Would the tutorial so simple? Yeah, so w- welcome back, guys. Uh, yeah. Today we are joined by our our first repeat guest. Uh, season two, we are kicking off our first guest with uh, Bill Tullius. Dr. Bill Tullius. Yeah. See. Um, we had spoken to him last year about the movie Moana, and it was a freaking great conversation. You should go listen to it if you haven't. Um, there Absolutely. was talk... Talk about doing a Coco this season, but then he threw a plot twist at us. He wanted to talk a about a movie directed by two people that most most of you haven't heard of. This is uh, this is the Coen Brothers, uh, the two brothers. They they just they make some small indie films with some low key actors. And <laughs> today's movie is Hail Caesar. Yes, yes, indeed. Bill, how did this even come about? You were just well, I'm guessing cruising through Netflix or... Well, this is... Uh, it's a movie that uh, I had seen, like, I don't know, one or two years ago. Um, <clears throat> and I, I really thought it was it was uh, one of those really smart movies. Like, the, you, you have... To, they pull on so much that um, that that's out there that, that they're kind of relying on the, uh, the audience to pick up on some of those connections if they're really going to get the jokes. Although, it's, it's funny even without that. Um, but it kind of, I watched it, I, it kind of, kind of went to the back of my mind and, and, uh, kind of left it there. But, um, my wife and I recently watched it again and, uh, I've been, uh, um, doing a lot of, uh, a lot of reading and, and, uh, listening to other podcasts, um, that, uh, are specifically, uh, like keyed into, a lot of the philosophical themes that uh, are really referenced by the movie, which made it all the funnier to, to me. So I really am looking forward to, uh, to talking about it, kind of uh, drawing those things out. Cause I, I could not stop laughing like the whole movie, even more than the first time oh, I yeah. watched it. 
Me too. Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's one of those movies that's served better by having Clooney not be like a main actor. It's one of those where, now don't get me wrong, I like Clooney as he is. Fantastic Mr. Fox is up there for me, but him being kind of like the side character that you don't see too much, and, and really the only one you're really seeing a ton of is um, Josh Brolin, Thanos, as it were, um, and the rest of them kind of come in and out and in and out, you know, the day in the life of this guy, and, but it's and, just like, uh, yeah. And Hobie, too. I think Hobie's a, a main character. Who's, <laughs> Han Solo, what is his name? Heinrich? I think Solo was correct, because um, he was in... He, I, he definitely was. It's just I'm blanking on the actor's name. With Finn and Ray. Alden Iron. Planet. Yeah. Oh, that's... He's yeah, great. okay, yeah. So, he is great, yeah. I saw this last in theaters. Nick, have you seen this? I saw this on an airplane, and I hated it. <laughs> which made me super excited, because, I mean... There's, there's a lot to the airplane edits. I mean, it's not just cussing. Like, I've seen entire segments cut out. I've seen words replaced. Um, so when I saw it on the plane, I was like, uh, the Coens have to miss every once in a while. Just like, burn after reading, eh, Brendan? Um, but <laughs> but uh, hmm. upon the rewatch, like Bill, I couldn't stop laughing. Like, the entire time. I mean, right it's off hysterical. the bat. hysterical. Yeah, confession 24 hours later, like, hashtag relatable. And what has he done? <laughs> he smoked three cigarettes. That's well, what he lied he, he, to his wife about it. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> so, but yeah, so yeah, that was it for me. But Bill, please gush away for us. All right. Well, <clears throat> um, so as as you were saying, uh, the the movie opens with this guy Eddie Mannix, played by Josh Brolin, who's uh, I think he's supposed to be head of like Warner Brothers or something like that, one of the major studios the in, the, in the golden age yeah. of of cinema 1950s 1960s oh, capital pictures that's capital what okay. the fake yes. one yeah 1951 yeah but they've, they've definitely got the warner brothers tower off of yeah, the backdrop yeah. at one point so that's the connection you're supposed to it's make. a stand-in um, for sure yeah. right yeah yeah um and he's like this overworked family man trying to manage like the dysfunctional studio and the actors and actresses and handling media at the same time producing movies and trying to do like the best job he can but he's overworked he's he's underpaid and also he's got this this scrupulous conscience that makes him like constantly go to confession for things that he's done and and it's it's hilarious (laughs) some of the things that he confesses like i hit a movie star (laughs) yeah and the way the priest is like (sighs) like every time it's really too much um, yeah, and the, the, yeah, the time later when he slams his head against the back, it's like oh, little things like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, but the the story, as you said at the beginning, it's like this um, compilation of little snippets of this guy's life, interwoven with these dysfunctional actors and actresses, some of whom are are like only half talented in the things that they're doing and needing major direction or making bad decisions with their life. And this guy is really trying to just hold it together because he really believes in movies um and uh, and what they stand for um but the plot really gets going at the point where um uh baird whitlock played by george clooney um who i kind of see as a sort of john wayne kind of character and that he's he plays himself no matter where he is um although he's less dysfunctional than john wayne um i, I think more, more dysfunctional, apt... i should say yeah um mm-hmm. <clears throat> But uh, but he's he's making a movie which I, is supposed to be like the equivalent of the road <laughs> or or um, the greatest story ever told. One of these movies set in biblical times or New Testament story of the Christ, but from different angles. And um, 
at the point where they're getting ready to shoot the final scenes of the movie, Baird Whitlock gets kidnapped. And we're wondering who's kidnapped him, what's it all for? Uh, there's uh, there's a ransom call at one point, but the the point where this movie really really takes really starts to take off, in my opinion, is the point where um, Whitlock he wakes up in this strange house, who you find out later, which you find out later is owned by uh, another actor. Um, uh, his name is Burt Gurney, and is played by Channing Tatum. Um, Burt Gurney, who is a communist, and he has been and. and George Clooney's character has been kidnapped by this group of communist, crypto-communist writers, Hollywood writers, who are really upset about the fact that they don't make a lot of money as writers. They're being taken advantage of by the by the studio, uh, as are the actors. They're happy to to inform uh, Whitlock's uh, uh, Clooney's character. Um, <laughs> yep. Hashtag so, relatable. So yeah, <laughs> you know it well. <coughs> um, <laughs> So I mean, the, the the plot really starts to, to get funny, particularly for me at this point, because um, these writers are they're referencing all of these ideas that are, that come straight out of Karl Marx. And they've got this uh, contemporary philosopher who was a real person um, from the 1950s. Oh, 1960s, I didn't know that. Uh, Professor oh. Herbert Marcuse, um, who is sort of guiding them as a reading group through the reading of Das Kapital um, and really teaching them what communism is all about. Um, now, Marcuse, the portrayal of him in this in this movie, it's not really faithful to Marcuse himself and his philosophy because he wasn't himself like a strict Marxist the way that he's portrayed in this movie. Um, but he's, again, kind of a stand-in for your stereotypical Marxist professor character who's really trying to use his understanding of philosophy and economics and sociology and psychology to, to kind of show you this is what's really going on um, and uh, this is what life and, and social structures and all of this is really about. Um, and what it's really about is this dialectic of class struggle and alienation. He throws out all of these different uh, philosophical ideas that, that really make the, the movie funny. And we can talk about it maybe a little bit um, Please. to, to uh, make it kind of clearer. But um, the, the point that, that uh, really makes the movie for me <clears throat> is that um, these disaffected writers and actors um they they really they 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 get to um Baird Whitlock they get him on board even though they've kidnapped him they're holding him for ransom he falls they're the right nicest into, kidnappers they're the nicest kidnappers but he yep. falls right into uh what they're talking about they're saying it connects with him and suddenly he's also like spitting out the jargon and and uh making the the arguments but he's doing it in a really, really like Movie dumb, actor dumb, way, yeah. well, specifically a dumb <laughs> way. Like he, it's clear he doesn't right. actually get it, but he thinks he gets right. it. It's definitely like I've had philosophy students sort of like this. Um, that story before, about the back shaving thesis. <laughs> we've had class. Yeah, and actually, I, I have to, I have to read this the the, the script just because this is like these are some of my favorite lines in the movie. But I also okay. think that it's ultimately the key to the whole movie and, and really what ties all of the different vignettes together um, just so brilliantly um, that, that really it made me connect to this movie so much. Um, so 
again, George Clooney's character, he's been kidnapped. He's been sat down but with, uh, by these, uh, these writers who are like feeding him all the communist lines. Um, and he's, ha- he's heard Professor Marcuse explain all of the ideas to him in a more technical, philosophical way. And now he's repeating to Marcuse and to others precisely what he understands them as talking about. Um, um, And uh, so he's he's saying to Marcuse, Herb, Herb, that's exactly what I was talking about. That's what happened when I went to Reno with Danny Kaye. And he asked me to shave his back. Exact same thing. Because I'm thinking, who benefits? Also, I got to tell you, everyone thinks Danny is a jerk, but he's not really a jerk. It's just a theory generating its own anti-theory. Um, and that, that line is, is probably funniest to somebody who's a nerd philosopher like me, um, who connects with it because in can a you, way... Can you explain it? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the theory, anti-theory thing, it all goes back to this 19th century philosopher uh, Hegel who mm-hmm. argues that um, history is um, a movement of um, meaning that develops as society takes on different like different theories and then their anti-theories or he talks about thesis and antithesis that leads to kind of the overcoming of the, the of the uh, the argument between the two uh or the dialectic um so that you get a a synthesis of the two which then generates another antithesis and then that resolves itself through an additional overcoming of synthesis of the thesis and antithesis Um, and this is what drives history forward and for hegel it's sort of driving forward to hegel himself as the culmination of of all of history and his reduction of philosophy to science and absolute knowing. Marx takes this on, this idea of a dialectic, uh, and you can find it in different places, um, but the Communist Manifesto is probably the best place to really get a a handle on how Marx occasionally uses this concept of the dialectic. Um, The dialectic here is between the thesis of the capital class versus the antithesis of the, uh, the proletariat, the workers. So there's this class struggle that is driving all of history forward. And it's inevitable that because capitalism is burdened by these contradictions internal to itself, uh, particularly inequality and and, uh, alienation of the workers from their labor, all of these different things, uh, capitalism is doomed to collapse in on itself. And when it does, um, it will generate a synthesis of the struggle in the classless society. And that's going to be the communist utopia. So this is kind of the ideas that the the uh, movie is referencing when Marcuse talks about the dialectic and and how all of history's laws are uh, are already kind of laid out, and we can talk about them as as a as a science um, predicting what's going to happen in the future. But what what uh, Whitlock takes from it is this kind of weird connection of <laughs> of him. Shaving Danny Kay's back and wondering <laughs> who benefits here. <laughs> um, yes, but I, the reason why I think this is the key to the whole movie uh, and why it just it just made me laugh so hard when I when I watched it is because um, in a way the Coen Brothers take that i that basic structure of 
of theory, anti-theory, thesis, antithesis, um, as sort of internal contradictions within uh, a social structure. And they apply it in different ways to each of the characters that you see in the movie. And they also apply it to uh, the institutions that you see patterned in the, in the movie. So oh. one of the ways that you see it um, is in Mannix's character. Now, Mannix is a Catholic who has a scrupulous conscience. Um, but his religiosity seems to be in contradiction with his mode of life. He works for a Hollywood studio where he is, among other things, helping to cover up the sins of his, of his actors and actresses, um, smooth things over with the media so that we have a pristine image. Um, and mm -hmm. one of the ways he's doing it is that uh, Scarlett Johansson's character, um, uh, she's, <laughs> she plays an actress, Deanna Moran, she's gotten knocked up um, by one of the directors i think uh who's married german so she, guy, yeah, yeah german guy yeah so mm -hmm. uh, he's already married so uh mannix wants to marry her off to the guy who's the father but he can't so he's gonna marry her off instead to uh jonah hill's character i forget what his name is in the movie but he's um, a fall guy yeah. he's a fall guy yeah so well, he's, that's he's the, saying but that's the marriage, not the plan the marriage doesn't have to last <laughs> um Oh, right. That's not the plan. But uh, initially he the wants the original marriage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. Want, he wants Jonah Hill to adopt it so that. Right. Charlotte Johansson can adopt it back. Yeah. Right. Right. But initially he wants to marry her off to the, to the father saying, well, the marriage doesn't have to mm -hmm. last. You just have to have that veneer of the institution so that you can have the baby and then get divorced later on and not have the scandal of being this unwed mother. Um, so there's like there are contradictions there. So he wants to he's he's scrupulous in his faith in his private life which sort of bleeds into his his work but at the same time it doesn't because he's still still having uh to dabble in things that are unsavory just as part mm -hmm. of his job and we also see it when when he's um he brings um a, a committee of inter interfaith committee to um the studio to talk about the movie that they're making hail caesar um to see mm -hmm. if it's going to offend anybody and there's this, well, also one of the funniest scenes in the whole movie, this debate that occurs between a Catholic priest, um, a Protestant yes. minister, um, an Eastern Orthodox priest, and, um, or I think it was maybe a patriarch, a rabbi. and a rabbi right. about yeah. the portrayal of Christ in the movie. And it gets into these like complex theological debates. And <laughs> Mannix, it's obvious that everything goes over his head. He doesn't actually mm -hmm. understand what he believes as a as a as a Catholic, but um, but uh, it's still he's he's sort of paying lip service there to it. So he's this 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 individual burdened with inner contradictions. He's he's um, his his own thesis generating his its own antithesis. Um, also, I love that the priest kept calling it a photo play. That was wonderful. Call which one? The priest kept calling it a photo play. He's like, for you and your photo play. <laughs> <laughs> so I do, well, do want to point out, I, yeah, I didn't please. notice this until I looked it up on IMDb. In the credits, at the very end of the credits where they have the disclaimers, like no animals are harmed in the making of this film, things like that, uh -huh. there's the disclaimer that states, this motion picture contains no visual depictions of the Godhead. Just <laughs> <laughs> thrown in there. Uh, As uh, the movie keeps going... Um, one of my other favorite elements to the movie, uh, Channing Tatum, 
Um, he's, oh my gosh. He, he plays this actor who's, I, I think he's, he's kind of supposed to be sort of like a Danny Kaye or, or a, a Fred Astaire sort of character. He's, mm-hmm, he sings, sure. he dances, he does it all. Um, but he's the communist who owns the house that, that George Clooney is, um, is being held hostage at. But his character, as the movie goes along, we find out um, he's leaving Hollywood for the Soviet Union. Um, and all the communists, they get on a boat in the middle of the night. They row out into the bay uh, that his house is, is on. And they are getting ready to send him off on a Soviet submarine <laughs> uh, so that he can go <laughs> to uh, the USSR and become an instrument of Soviet uh, propaganda back in, in the, the motherland. Um but what's what's really funny about this whole scenario, if that wasn't funny enough already, was is, is the fact that uh, here's this guy committed communist, uh, surrounded by other committed communists. They've held a held a guy for ransom. They've gotten money, which is their in their minds their fair share of what they should get because they are uh, they're the workers um, and they they they're the ones who are creating the product that's being sold. Um, so they've, they've managed to get Maddox, Mannix to give them the ransom money. But rather than appropriate it and divide it up as the fair um, reward for their labor, they are sending this money off to the USSR as a contribution to the cause. Um, so they, they give it to uh, Channing Tatum as he's getting up on the, on the submarine, getting ready to leave. Um, and as he's about to get into the submarine, his dog, who's um, <laughs> named Angles, I think, uh, in the movie, mm-hmm. um, his dog is on the boat and he doesn't want to be left behind. So he runs and takes a flying leap and Channing Tatum drops the, the, uh, the briefcase full of money into the ocean and saves the dog. He drops this collective property to save his own private property, which is the exact opposite of what a good communist should do. <laughs> exactly. And, and there's something to that sequence because, and, and I'm, I, you know, I'm sure this wasn't just me, but like the, you know, the suitcase emerges, it reemerges, bubbles up, and then yep. it very slowly goes away and nobody and will no take one the risk does and no one jumps in. <laughs> I mean, a hundred thousand dollars in 1951 is like $2.7 million, something like that in today's standard. It's just like, and it's not that far away. They just right. got to get a little wet. And all they did was watch, you know? So there's some symbolism there of just like, Oh, there it is. And there, <laughs> but it's a boat full of, <laughs> of nerdy egghead writers that like, it's, you can tell they're having a hard time even rowing this boat out to sea and they don't know what to do because it's in the water. Right. And Shane Tatum's character could go for it. He showed his athletic ability during all the tap dancing scenes and, and holding everybody up. And he just kind of looks at it dismissively and looks at angles and goes, I told you to wait in the boat. Like he says something like that, you know, so to the dog, yeah, to the dog. So there's, so, I, there's I also, something there. <laughs> I love that the only other scene we get with Channing Tatum is him singing a long, drawn out song about how he's going to sea, where there yeah. will be no dames. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah, great. That just got me. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so then the other, oh the other place goodness. where you see this, uh, this theory producing its own anti-theory thing is, is um, as... George Clooney, uh, his character, he's he's rescued by um, Bert. Uh, no, not Bert Gurney. Um, 
uh, Hobie Doyle, who mm-hmm. is this, oh, uh, this, he's also sort of a John Wayne character in a way. He's like the quintessential cowboy and that's all he knows it's how to be is a, is a cow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Spaghetti Western sort of, of character. Um, but he's, he finds out from Eddie Mannix that Barry Whitlock's been kidnapped. He's kidnapped by communists. And, and so as an American, he's sort of incensed by this. And at a certain point he sees Channing Tatum with the briefcase. And so he knows that he's the one who's in on the, on the kidnapping. He follows him to his house and he calls in the police. He rescues Baird Whitlock and brings him back to the studio. Um, where Whitlock begins to expound all of the communist insight that he's gained from this group of writers um, to Eddie Mannix. Um, And Eddie Mannix's response (laughs) is to just slap the hell out of him. (laughs) Um, And to go on this speech about how... um, Hollywood is this great is this great institution and and we're making movies and that's important uh, and all of this sort of dismissing all of the claims about uh, actors being taken advantage of and all of this which is actually true uh, although way Whitlock is is presenting it maybe not so nuanced and not so uh, mm-hmm. sophisticated but um, but later on Mannix has to go to confession because he slapped an actor. <laughs> Um, yes, my favorite line in the whole movie. It's something I hope to utter to a priest someday as I struck a movie star in anger. <laughs> um, but then, Dreams. Oh my gosh. And then in the end, Whitlock um, goes off. He finishes the scene. It's this moving moment of the a, a, a Roman centurion professing his faith in the Christ at the crucifixion. Um, and the very end of this moving speech where Whitlock's Roman soldier character is professing his faith and and uh declaiming the the holiness of of jesus he forgets his line and goes off on this tirade <laughs> cursing <laughs> so profanity, it's, yeah. profanity yeah so it's it's this an, another moment of contradiction of of uh juxtaposition of theory and anti-theory and it's it, just it tied the whole movie together for me in so many different ways. I loved it. I, I also love that scene because I think it's related to that where the uh, the grip or whoever it is is walking through the set and looks up at the actor yes. playing Jesus and says, are you a principal or are you an extra? And the character, I think I'm a principal. Todd, yeah. <laughs> you have so, a hot breakfast or a box breakfast? <laughs> I don't know. And this notion that we're doing the Lord's work here, but but the actor playing Jesus is not sure if he's actually gets a hot lunch or a cold lunch. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. I went back and listened to this. I couldn't find in the credits where the voice of Jesus, who played it, but I have a theory of who I think it was. Well, it was the guy, Todd. But do we know who Todd is? Uh, checking, checking, checking. <clears throat> I look, Todd, like... uncredited, Nuno Branco. Oh. Who did, well, did you, who do you think it was? I thought it sounded an awful lot like Michael Sarah playing Jesus, but I could <laughs> be wrong about that. I wish it had oh been. Oh my gosh, I this wish... guy is from 24 and Thor. Oh, he's a stunt guy. Okay. 
So yeah, not not a big deal at all. But I like that shakiness of his voice and everything. Just like, uh, I don't know. Do we know that he played <laughs> the voice? Uh, it just says Todd uncredited. So maybe there's like eight Todds in this movie, but that's the only one that was a uh, in the the bill for a cast. So, but anyway, <laughs> excellent. Excellent. We have to talk for just a second about Francis McDormand's character, who yeah. she's married to one of the directors, has been Joel. since the 80s. Yep. Um, Cece, the whole bit about wearing scarves and, like, gets almost choked to death, and as soon as she's released, immediately puffs the cigarette. Just, mm-hmm. I believe that's based <laughs> off a real editor whose name I can't think of, uh, but there's a very famous female uh, editor in Hollywood who did, like, hundreds of movies, amazingly, and that just that just absolutely cracked me up. Well, I was also struck by how the editing process is just one person alone in a room just getting it done. Mm-hmm. Not a committee team here. I mean, there was very little insight from the director. It's just click, 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 snip, click, click, snip. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it was good to see um, when he makes that big speech towards the very end that he uh, trips over his words. You had um, Mr. Krabs was the other guy next to him from SpongeBob. So that's my <laughs> contribution for that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah we were going back to Scarlett Johansson's character the way that that resolved Brendan you were saying because it was originally she was supposed to you know readopt or no yeah adopt the baby but then but then he's so he's so beautiful and strong and powerful that she just has she just (laughs) has to have Jonah Hill that's right I get it hashtag relatable (laughs) yeah but yeah, I mean, what what an excellent, fun as heck movie. So, when they're having all those conversations uh, with the, all the writers, the one guy keeps, keeps being told to shut up all the time. Um, I loved the bit about Hobie where, you know, he just kind of really went with the flow. I mean, back in old Hollywood, like they really did own the actors. There's a reason why the Paramount logo had all the stars around the mountain. Those were the original stars that the studio kind of owned um, back in the day. But when you think about that particular sequence with Hobie, he's got the jacket on, and they're just like, oh, the studio's changing it. It's like, oh, what about the other studio's changing your image? Yeah, everything's just changing. Like, it's just what the studio wants. And the only one who really had any control over what the studio wanted was kind of Scarlett Johansson's character, because she seemed very indifferent to it all, had been around the block a number of times. But Hobie as a character was just, oh, one of my favorites. He does such a good job. Yeah, and I, I, I laughed so hard when he did the leg trick. Like first, it's the handstand on the horse, and then the legs wrap around the tree limb like a gymnast, and he's shooting at the same time and just kind of gets... Ugh. And then, to so top it off, funny. he apologizes for not doing it very well. Yeah, it was like the fourth time that day or something, or we've already got four good takes, Hobie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, gosh. So, when I saw this in theater... Sorry, Bill, did you have more you wanted, can I, or can I? Well, no, I, I, I think I'm done with the official gush, okay. but... I do have to say, okay, okay, also about Hobie's character, one of the one also one of the impressive things that he does is he he takes a, a piece of spaghetti and starts whirling it around like a like he's a cowboy with a, with a rope, and it's just he, I read some mm-hmm. of the trivia at one point that that was actually the hardest thing that that actor had to do in the whole movie was yeah. was to to. <laughs> whirl around this piece of spaghetti like a like he's roping a cat <laughs> <laughs> he lassos her perfectly too right so i saw this in theaters with my wife in texas it was one of our rare date nights that we got while i was teaching down there and so we get out and i mean we are kind of cohen brother obsessies 
Um, before this podcast, you guys were discussing some of the Coen brothers you don't like as much, movies you don't like as much, and to which I respond, um, you're wrong about everything you've ever said. Um, <laughs> but I saw I this a movie. co-host in anger. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this movie, and uh, as far my initial thought is that I really enjoyed it. I thought it was hysterical, but I also felt anticlimactic. Like, it doesn't build to anything, and then it... Hmm just kind of doesn't crescendo. But I in the rewatch, it really works to its credit in my mind. It's not supposed to build to anything. It's almost like these just... The, the Coen brothers are often... A lot of the themes in their movies seem to be man facing their both their own morality and the sometimes the possibly futile existence they're living in this crazy world. And... And I kind of love this movie is just a bunch of vignettes of Hollywood being absolutely insane and a man who feels like he doesn't have any worth or it feels like his life is a little insane and doesn't know if she should take the easy job where he could just manage some people to some airplanes who can make some nuclear bombs and everything will be great. <laughs> Armageddon, as he says. That's but right. His, his great epiphany is that God put him on this earth to keep insane actors under uh, in reigns, to rein in the insanity of Hollywood, and that that is his great purpose and meaning, and and he discovers that in a Hollywood movie that is so self reflective back on itself. In 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 a lot of a lot of movies about Hollywood seem a little bit navel gazing. This one seems like it's just got a twinkle in the eyes. It's like, yeah, Hollywood, guys. I mean, you know, what we do is important. But, you know, is it? And I love it. I, you know, I, I, Joel, I freaking love it. I, it's its I own theory. It's, it's, it's theory yeah. presenting its own anti-theory. I mean, that's what the <laughs> Anti-theory, yep. Amen. I read a quote, a quote recently where Joel, Joel Cohen says, there isn't anything about the Hollywood system I would change. It's 3,000 miles away. Like, let's leave it there. Something to that extent, because I think he lives in either New York. Well, they're from Minnesota, I believe, originally. Yeah. But um, and I, we, that we, I'm glad you brought up that part, because we definitely can't forget to talk about the fact that, you know, this is a slice of life. It's a day in the life of Eddie Manx, Mannix. And he, the whole, do, through all the craziness, he's given every opportunity to escape it. But escape it to what? Escape it to Lockheed Martin. And like you said, the Armageddon, like... For what was it like thirty thousand dollars more or something? Like he's he's but allowed it's a to lot give of money at out. the time, right? Yeah, and then he even has that debate with the priest at the end, and the priest is finally like, "Okay, I can give him some guidance," and, and he's just like, "Yeah, I got it, I got it," and just like walks away. Oh. But I love the notion that working for Lockheed Martin is the easy job because right. you don't have to deal with actors. Exactly, right? that's the future. <laughs> but but also it also he doesn't it's not, struggle much. Also, it's not bad. It's not a bad job. Yeah, it's not, doing bad things, even though. <laughs> building nuclear weapons for Armageddon. So, I mean, that's... <laughs> I, I thought he meant that the Hollywood job wasn't a bad job. Oh, you're right. Easy, not bad. You're yeah. right. You're right. But but in this movie, you get this feeling that nothing is particularly hard for him. He needs $100,000 for a ransom, and he calls the guy up, I need some petty cash. Yeah, I know it's a lot of money. Just give me the cash. Right? <laughs> I mean... There's this impl- and the implication that he's lost an actor to kidnapping, and it's you know it's a big deal, but it's a fairly routine big deal. This is an average day for him, maybe a slightly above average day for him. Yeah, I mean it's nothing like on eagle's wings. <laughs> on eagle's wings, and every time I pause, the, let the, the sound in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> every single time. 
My my favorite shot of the whole movie has to be when they're getting the montage on the on the house on the the ocean, and the two guys are doing the puzzle, and it pans to them. They've got the entirely completed puzzle, the two communists, and they mm-hmm. have one piece left, and there's one hole left, and it's obvious that puzzle piece is not going in that hole. <laughs> and I just love the the imagery of this that these communists, they've got all the pieces. And they've worked their ass off, and they've got an almost perfect picture. But damn it all, that piece is not going in that hole. That last one just which, won't fit. Which is, I mean, that's exactly what happens when the money, they had it, all the pieces were in play, and then the money's gone at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Oh, my gosh. So, Did you have a favorite yeah. part, Nick? I mean, the I mean, for sure, the the best line is gonna be "I struck a movie star in anger." Like, I loved that. Um, I think Cece's editing scene was probably one of my favorites. I think just really the callback to a lot of what old Hollywood used to be. There, every yeah, once in a while, when we go to visit, um, we go to visit in the family in Michigan. We'll have on some of the older movies, the Turner Classic movie stuff, and you know things from like the '30s, '40s, and '50s. We watch "It's a Wonderful Life" during Christmas and things like that. So to kind of see the Fred Astaire stuff. And in a weird way, the synchronized swimming stuff where, you know, it's very clearly being played backwards. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, I I just adore Channing Tatum's uh, character with that dance sequence. And when the other Navy guys come in, they pause. and He has the dude clearly upside down. They turn and look like, well, this seems like a good place to be. And then more of them are (laughs) dancing. And uh, just... There were a lot of great moments like that. I think if I had to pick a singular favorite sequence, it was probably the editing with CC because I shouldn't wear scarves. Sequence. was just wonderful. I laughed so hard. Oh. Got to give a call out to, uh, to Wayne Knight. I am like a right? stupid Wayne Knight. Man, he shows up on screen and I just start giggling. He is an unappreciated treasure. The anticipation for Clooney to drink the goblet, just, oh, and then nothing, and then nothing, oh, and like, he keeps like going for Palestine, and then doesn't I, drink. And I keep on oh. my desk, all with me always, a Wayne Knight action figure oh that gosh. in a Barbasol can that you can in push down can. and... I totally unappreciated my time. Wow, and that's accurate too, because he is yeah. totally unappreciated in He's his time. He's totally unappreciated in his time. It's true. Oh. I love Wayne Knight. I will watch Wayne Knight do anything. Except probably Basic yeah. Instinct. I'll skip that one. Have I seen Basic Instinct? I think I have. No. Really? I most definitely have not. No, of course not. Wait. <laughs> is that Michael Douglas? No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't I matter. I think so. Yeah. That. That, yeah. <laughs> oh, I just crap, know I he's in the, the infamous scene. I know that he, I know uh, that he's one of the people in that scene. That's right. Yeah. But this movie just had a lot of little great cameos like that. Just of awesome actors. One of the communist writers whose name is completely escaping me, the one who had kind of like black and gray hair. I've seen him in like everything. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, that room of communists is filled with incredible bit actors that do amazing jobs with anything they're given. The room of communists. The room (laughs) of communists. And they got the picture for the newsletter. He pops out the light bulb and just like, no big deal. Just put another light bulb in. Uh, did you have a favorite scene, Brendan, other than Wayne Knight? Or was that the favorite? I think I've gone over mine. I, I, Bill, you're, uh, the, the quote you did about him shaving that guy's back is my favorite quote of the movie by far. Um, and, and I love how, yeah, no, how the Herbert Marcuse is just looking at him with this horrified and befuddled look of yeah. <laughs> what is, what are you even talking about? It, the, that, that whole scene, mm-hmm. that, that's definitely my favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> well, it, yeah. It, he's it, got like in his a lot of, no... mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But I, I almost feel like the face George Clooney is making is the best argument against his argument is just, sure, man could be this, but man's kind of stupid. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. <laughs> and then notice after he slaps the crap out of him, like this man who's playing Caesar and has been through this ordeal of being kidnapped and returned all these things. He's like, he's just like, I don't know, a corrected child. He's like, oh, okay, Eddie, I'll get back right. I'll get, I'll go to it. You know, just watching him like shrink as in like, oh, you're right. You corrected me, dad. <laughs> and that's the work that he loves, man. That's the work. Oh man. I tell you, nobody can direct stupid characters played by Clooney better than the Coen brothers. Have you guys seen burn after reading that? It's such a good movie. Uh, I mean, Brad Pitt, you know, but oh my gosh, what a horrible death. Bill, <laughs> a number one through 793, please. Ooh. Uh, 48. 48, okay, that's definitely after territory. Uh, da 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 da. Gonna... All right, number 48 on the complete credits is Mather Zickel. Who was Chunk Mulligan? Oh, his stunt double. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Is that Clooney's stunt double? Yes, that's who that was in the movie. Who had uh, his face burned so that he didn't have to look at the camera to do his lines? Yep, that's right. That's right. Nice. And he's been in a lot of stuff. He's been in Veronica Mars and iZombie, Balls of Fury, I Love You Man, Rachel Getting Married, The Ten, actually, which is a show about the Ten Commandments, if I'm not mistaken. Reno 911, he plays Mike Powers. Nice, um, it's the game of 2090s TV. House of Lies, Bones, Bill, Bones, definitely in that one. Arrested um, Developments. Where? I see. He's an executive in the episode Meet the Veals with Anne's parents. Oh, okay. Well, it looks like he's actively still working, so Mather, thank you for playing the most important part of Chunk Mulligan. Yes. (laughs) Not even Chuck, Chunk Mulligan, which is wonderful. The movie would not have been the same without you, good sir. Mather, thank you so much for being in Hail Caesar. You rock, good sir. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Now, in front of me, I have three movies that Bill dislikes. Something nice. And, man, I tell you, these are three great movies. <laughs> Gotta say something nice. Two of these movies would probably be my top ten. Something and I cannot nice. wait. I can't, I can't wait. Whatever you pick, I'm going to be thrilled. So, one through three, could you say it to give me a number? Something nice. Go with three. Oh, see, we're going to lose listeners. They're not going to... Oh. And you know what? I, I'm so glad this is the something one you picked. Nice. Um, thematically... Could you say something nice about this movie that I will remind listeners that you don't like? The Big Lebowski. <laughs> <gasps> Could be very nice. It, it has some really great actors in it. It really does. It does. But who specifically is great that is in this movie? Um, <clears throat> Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges, yeah, is, is the one I would say is, is by far the best. Um, this aggression I mean, as a, will not it's stand, a man. Co- Coen Brothers movie—they <laughs> always have great actors. This is in so it. weird, and that—that's definitely the thing that got me through that movie, which I otherwise would have been more than happy to turn off after about twenty minutes. 
This I mean, is probably... the FN short version is fantastic on YouTube. For those of you who are what older is that than one? 17, it's just every F word in the movie. <laughs> this is this is probably top three most quoted movies in my household. Um, oh, gosh, I hope not. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, all the time. Constantly. Your children are quoting not, Jesus? Not, no, no, no. Me and my wife, when the kids are in bed, are often quoting the dude. And Oh, my gosh. I mean, who do you not quote? I mean, half of uh, everything that says that Walter says is worth a quote. I mean, we talk about nihilists constantly. Yeah. My manager's a big fan. In his cubicle at work, he has the rug under his desk chair. I mean, it's it's great. This, the, really? Great yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is totally awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, you know, since we're on the subject of the Big Lebowski, well, two things. I guess I'll say two things. The first is I don't think we've ever had it where the gushing film in question and the Say Something Nice are both written and directed by the same people. That's got to be a first. Um, so, you know, Bill, kudos to you for... Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what yeah. to say here. Your poor, not poor taste, but just like... I mean, that's really quite incredible. <laughs> oh, no, I, I love it. I'm so thrilled that this is the movie that you chose to say something nice about. That, that, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, think it's and great. I will say, in, in I will say this, my second say thing that, is... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, please, you first. You first. I, I was just going to say that in general, <clears throat> I, I do really love Coen Brothers movies. Um, Big Lebowski is just like... Just do it for you. I, it just hey, I get no. it. I get it. I, yeah, because, uh, you know, what's the bigger thing that you're looking for? I think with the Coens, you're always looking for the... I don't know the theme because they're so dang good at themes. I mean, the first, I mean, I'll be honest. The first time I saw no country for old men, I I don't dismiss big Lebowski for having no theme. Let's not, let's not get into this. (laughs) We're not going to spend good. We get, this is another episode, but continue. No country for old men. My personal favorite Coen brothers movie, which when I first saw it and the credits came up, I said, well, that sucked nice and loud in the theater and walked out. But as I have (laughs) aged and gotten older and wiser and after having read the book, I thoroughly like that movie a lot. But I was going to say the last thing about The Big Lebowski. It has one of my my favorite character descriptors of all time in the screenplay is as follows. We are tracking in on a 40-ish man in Bermuda shorts and sunglasses at the dairy case. He is the dude. His rumpled look and relaxed manner suggest a man in whom casualness runs deep. And that, like, (laughs) you... You know, as a writer, what you're trying to do is like summarize a character in like the least amount of words and like the best picked words, and I think that describes that character amazingly. Yeah, definitely does. So yeah. to those guys. I don't think there's any other director, directing duo, whatever, however you want to do it, say it, that makes movies that I so consistently adore. Um, I've seen mm-hmm. eleven of their eighteen, I think, movies. My wife is, I think, two less than that, and we've we've at this point committed. We say it every now every couple months that we're going to sit down and watch all of them. But I think I think we did um, Blood Simple a couple months back. I think we're going to sit down and finally see Raising Arizona and just work our way through. Because he, he, I, I, you watch a montage of Coen Brother movies, and and I don't know any director that can make me laugh as hard and cry as deeply in my being as these directors. <laughs> and oh, I love them. I love them. Yeah, man. Hudsucker Proxy is um, on my list of one of the never best saw movies it. ever. Oh, you've got to see that one. Not counting well, the menagerie. <laughs> guys, it's it's going to happen, yeah. Uh, I, I For years, I would say No Country for Old Men was my favorite movie ever. In college, if people ask me, that's what I said was my favorite. 
time. Hot soccer proxy. I wasn't allowed to see that because my parents <clears throat> don't like the lead actor growing up. And then when I did see it in college, I was like, I absolutely loved the crap out of it. The idea is so, and written for, for my own satisfaction, uh, don't forget to put in the show notes uh, every frame of painting shot, reverse shot, which is a like 10 minute video essay dedicated to the Coen brothers. And I, I will absolutely put that in the show notes, folks. You got to watch that. It's, it's amazing like how talented these guys are. And they came completely outside of the Hollywood system. Their first movie was funded by a dentist who had a lot of money. And their right, whole right. spiraled out of control after that. So they are amazing. We, we should do a throw out, too. The, the movie we just talked about, Hail Caesar, was another Roger Deakins film that they convinced oh, him to go yes. back to film. Because as silly and fun as this movie is, it's also freaking gorgeous. Yes. It's, it's beautiful filmmaking. Does anyone remember what the Watchtower said in the last shot of the movie? Watchtower. No, I don't. There was something. Oh, gosh. I wanted to bring that up. Uh, Hail Caesar, Watchtower. Uh, Oh, oh, Behold. Behold, yes. Behold, yeah. That was kind of. We both made a comment to that. Okay, yeah. Just think about that. Behold. (laughs) Behold movies. And the narrator. We're going back to the gosh. Anyway, Bill, what are you consuming these days? Um, other, you know, other than Hail Caesar, what other movies? What TV shows? Are there any audiobooks or books or graphic novels or games or like what? What are you doing these days in the in the field of entertainment? And then also tell us what you're actively working on and explain it to us as if it as if we were children. <laughs> okay. Um, so lately, um, my wife and I have been watching a lot of Monk. Um, sort of, we, we go through binges of old TV shows, but, um, but, uh, before, before we got into Monk, um, you and I were exchanging messages about a show that, um, I had, we, we recently discovered from, uh, Amazon prime, um, which I think connects just perfectly with our discussion today. Um, so I wanted to bring it up. Uh, we watched this show called comrade detective and yeah that is a fun one opens with channing tatum as channing tatum (laughs) yes receiving in the mail this um vhs tape of what's supposed to be this old 1980s tv show from communist uh romania and when when Chad and Tatum gets the the tape, he just has this tear that rolls down his eye, which is it, I, I think that Channing Tatum is either a communist himself or he just really loves communist humor because. They, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, isn't he in the new? He's in that new. Uh, isn't he playing George Washington in a new animated Netflix series? Is he? I'm not sure. I hadn't heard that. But uh, I'll get that to you quick. Yeah. I'll look it up. But but this the show Comrade Detective. It's the premise is just yes. hilarious because it's this document. It's supposed to be like a he is communist propaganda mm-hmm. from communist Romania. Um, but the whole thing is like <laughs> communist humor, poking fun at at, uh, at at communism and capitalism, and it's it's great. There are some scenes that you got to fast forward through, but but. Uh, all in all, we, we loved, we loved it. 
Yeah. Something we'll have to have as a one-off conversation are those sequences and why they exist in the first place because it's <laughs> definitely like a waste of everybody's time. Um, Indeed. Comrade Detective. Okay. And then any books, anything like that? Um, I just got a, a new book I'm, I'm kind of excited to read. Um, it's a it's a philosophy book. It, it's uh, uh, by Simone Weil, who was a uh, uh, French um Jewish philosopher from the World War II era, um, and it's it's on the importance of roots. Um, it's it's a really interesting book. I, I just started it. I'm I'm really excited to get into it. But uh, a little bit of political yeah. theory and that sort of thing. Sweet. Most excellent, Brendan. What about you? What are you consuming these days in the world of entertainment? Um, so, Beal. blanking on his first name, Schwartzwelder, the the main Simpsons writer of the Golden Era. Oh, yeah, yeah. The one who the New York Times had gone recently? Yeah, so I read that yeah, article yeah. from the New York Times and then immediately went and pre-ordered the book, his book, his first book, The Time Machine did it. And so I, it's a short read. Good Lord. I mean, it's almost train of thought nonsense, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Oh. It, 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 there's no character development. There's barely a plot. Much it's, like The Simpsons, much like oh, The Simpsons. Oh, no, The Simpsons <laughs> is a well-plotted masterpiece in comparison to this. I mean, <laughs> it involves a time machine and, as a result, often loses the thread of the main plot for chapters at a time. Um, for, for no outcome in the final conclusion. I mean, the two things are just happening, and it's it's absurdist in, in the most literal meaning of the word, and I, I giggled the whole way through. Uh, so did that um, game. Uh, somebody was supposed to come visit me and couldn't and sent me a board game. Murph. Uh, no, you. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. <laughs> so me and Nick play a lot of Letter Tycoon online, and he was going to come visit but couldn't for very reasonable reasons. And he sent me a copy suit. of that. Yeah, the dog needed surgery. But uh, me and the wife have played a lot of Letter Tycoon because it's like the best board game. It's a strategy board game about spelling words. And most of the time you don't have strategies that you can add to a word spelling game. And I love it. Um, Mm -hmm. If you like board games and hate Scrabble, you will love Letter Tycoon. It's great. It's a great game. Mm -hmm. Been doing The Bad Batch um, on Disney Plus, the the new um, Dave Fellini Star Wars series because... I'd follow that man to hell and back. I would. <laughs> um, I don't know if I mentioned. I probably started this last time, but I've been. Uh, I watched season two of Solar Opposites on Hulu. How is that? I enjoy the heck out of it. I mean, it's okay. it's it's. If you like Rick and Morty, you like Solar Opposites. If you don't like Rick and Morty, you're not going to like it. It's it's definitely. Uh, it's Dan. Who does Rick and Morty? Dan Harmon and the other guy. This is really offensive that I can't remember anybody's name tonight. Anyways. I just know him as the lemon guy from Adventure Time. Yeah. Lemon he, grabber. Yeah. It's very much his show. Dan Harmon. Dustin Rowland. Roiland. Thank yeah. you. Yes, yes. Yeah. You can tell you by watching this show. You watch this show. You watch Community. And then you watch, uh, watch Rick and Morty. You can see which parts each of them brings to the table. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely a Justin Roiland movie or show. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. I think it's great. How about you? What are you up to? Um, well, 
I got recommended a comic series, which I hadn't been recommended one in a long time, but my buddy Jake out in L.A. said, you've got to read Shirtless Bear Fighter. And mm. uh, it was insane and ridiculous. And the whole conversation kind of was sparked by, there was a recent script that sold in Hollywood called Cocaine Bear, which is the <laughs> actual true story of a bear that ate 76 kilograms of cocaine uh, <laughs> and went on a spree. And that, act- that, Excellent. Bear, that, that story did happen. The bear is actually stuffed in a museum in Kentucky. Um, so I couldn't believe that a spec called cocaine bear sold. So I asked him if he could send me a copy so I could read it. And what he recommended for me was to read something called shirtless bear fighter, which was, uh, something that like you would see on adult swim, probably the metal, metal, metalocalypse people would do it. Um, and it's about a guy who was like raised by bears and he doesn't wear, not only does he not wear shirts or pants or anything at all, but he, uh, he fights bears. And I read that it was like six issues. Uh, it was wonderful. Um, what else have I been consuming? We just finished Parks and Rec, and that was very enjoyable. We kind of were told by a lot of people that the last season was the worst, and I didn't feel that way. Um, which suffice to say is if you don't have any expectations for something, all you can be is blown away. Which <laughs> leads me to my next talking point, which is we went to the movie theater. And we Ooh. saw Cruella, and boy, oh boy, was it a lot of fun, and was it awesome. <laughs> Um, it was like Devil Wears Prada on crack Um, it was just immensely enjoyable and funny and it's definitely not like you know this movie ends and then all of a sudden you're in 101 Dalmatians it's like the uh, alternate universe of 101 Dalmatians Cruella DeVille Um, the music was was awesome the cinematography was great the acting was I'm a big fan of Maleficent. I think Angelina Jolie was like born to play a live action, you know, version of what Maleficent was. Similar for Emma Stone. She was perfect for Cruella DeVille. Uh, That being said, this is not a kid's movie. Like this is kind of the closest thing you'll get to like an adult Disney film. Like it's just for grownups. It it really is. It is not for, don't bring your kids to it. Um, The people next to us totally did and they should not have done that. (laughs) Um, But that was, that was really great. And I think also I was just high off the fact that I have not been to a movie theater oh, in forever. Not since Tenet and IMAX, which I also love because I was in a theater, I think. Um, but that was very good. So aside from that, I'm working my way through um, a insanely long uh, Brandon Sanderson book, which is the follow-up to The Way of Kings, which is called Words of Radiance. I'm reading that. And I'm also reading a book. I'm actually reading several books on like being a better manager and supervisor and all those things because of my recent job change. But uh, there's no point. We're not going to go into any of those. Um, <laughs> so, but that's that. And you know what? We never even talked about twere that it were that it twere so simple. <laughs> were that it twere so? I mean, I, I, I got to go. I got to go back because um, I hate cringe humor. That's why I didn't want to watch Parks and Rec. That's why I still have not seen The Office. Shut up, Craig. Um, the thing is. I have never had a scene where I wanted to laugh, throw up, and run away so badly as that sequence. The way he just keeps mispronouncing <laughs> his name, the Christian name, and then mispronouncing it again, and then with the twist of simple, that whole back and forth. Ah, I just had to, I just had to throw that in there because like that. The was world would be a better place. It would also be a far less civilized and sophisticated place if we were all more like Hobie Doyle. <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. Speaking of theaters, I'm heading back tomorrow. Me and the wife are going to go see Quiet oh, hey. Place 2 tomorrow. But uh, oh. I did want to bring up, because you mentioned this, and I think it was two episodes ago, we, we found a random movie that we had not heard of and agreed we were both going to go see it and talk about it. Do you remember this? Yes. What was that movie? Gunpowder Milkshake, and the trailer came out since we last talked. Oh. And it <laughs> looks like a lot like of that? fun. It looks like a lot of fun. So, yeah. 
But that oh is gosh. that is that. Excellent. Well, Bill, thanks once again for being our guest here in Cinema Gush. We'll have to have you back uh, to tell people we're doing Calco and then do something else at the last second. Exactly. Amen. <laughs> it's perfect. I would love to do Calco. Uh, wonderful. We'd love to have you do. Well, honestly, you can talk about whatever you right want. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks everybody for listening. We will absolutely see you all in the next one. Bye, guys.